Thank you, Rich. Will you join me in praying for Sanctuary? Lord, thank you so much for Sanctuary Church, for their vision of ministering here in Columbus. And God, we uh, specifically want to pray for them that you would raise up community group leaders in this season. Group ministry is pivotal all the time, but especially now as we, we can't gather in person on a Sunday morning, the need for relationships and community to process what's going in our world is important now as ever. And so God, we pray for them that you would raise up leaders and you would help them uh, further this mission of discipleship and care through their group's ministry. Lord, we also uh, pray with them for the Asian community. Many, unfortunately, are experiencing bigotry in this season. And God, help us as, as your people to stand up for those created in your image. May we not perpetuate some of the division and rhetoric that leads the hate and fear of others, but may we uh, do what you model, and that is uh, live out a spirit of care, concern, and protection. And also, Lord, I pray for Cora. I thank you for her, and I pray uh, she turns 10, that, that she would feel loved and special as your daughter. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I want to invite you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And as a church at Scarlet City, uh, we've spent a number of weeks and even months looking at the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount of Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus is laying out a vision of how to flourish. And this morning, we're going to be beginning our series, which will bring us to a close of the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to specifically look, looking in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew 6 through 7 about Jesus and anxiety. Jesus and anxiety. And as, as we begin this morning, I really want to set up where we're going in this series. And so the question we're seeking to address this morning is how does Jesus relate to anxiety? How does he relate? And there's three things in our text that I want to point to that show us and shape us the nature of his ministry. And really what we're getting to this morning is the real core message that Jesus offers us. And what we'll find, what I have found, and what we're discussing this morning is this is some of the most beautiful and compelling components that Jesus can bring. How does Jesus relate to anxiety? Well, we begin by considering and seeing that Jesus, he addresses the struggles of ordinary people. Jesus' ministry and teaching is always speaking, speaking into the hopes and the fears, the dreams and the anxieties of people. Jesus incarnates God's truth in ways people can understand. The entire Sermon on the Mount is about this. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses illustration, illustrations routinely, and he speaks to the fears and anxieties of, of people. Even in our passage, in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus uses this illustration. He says, when you do charitable giving, when you're giving to the poor, do not blow trumpets before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets. Now, 
I personally have never seen someone blowing a trumpet when they're giving to the poor. But the principle of promoting our good deeds is still relevant today. Jesus, this is an example of Jesus using the illustrations, using the language of his time to reveal God's truth. Jesus is always speaking into the dreams and the fears in ways people can understand. It's why in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, may your kingdom come, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is wanting to bring the truth, the heavenly truth of God, and wants to reveal it in ways on earth, speaking to the particular anxieties and hopes and desires of people in our present day and age. And so what is our present world? What are some of the themes of the world in which we live in? One theme that we find is a theme of anxiety in our world and culture. You know, anxiety simply means it is worry or fear or uneasiness about an imminent event or circumstance. And anxiety leads to certain physiological effects. Uh, You might have increased heart rate, shortness of breath. Uh, you can even, when you're feeling anxiety, there's, you can sweat. Uh, you, can, you might even have stomach pain and muscle aches. These are physiological body symptoms that's, that speak to us, remind us that we're in a particular situation in which we might feel vulnerable. There's an element of fear where we don't feel protected. Now, anxiety is a good and normal emotion and and response. If you're in front of a group of people and you need to speak to a large group, you might feel anxiousness. You might have increased heart rate or shortness of breath as you feel a little vulnerable and exposed to a group of people. You're wondering, what do they think? Am I going to come across in a positive way? You might feel anxiety in a situation that stokes certain physical fear. If you're at home and You're woken to an alarm in your house. And you get up, it's your body's response and your increased heart rate of protecting yourself. So anxiety is is normal and good when it's a response to an imminent situation. When anxiety becomes harmful and detrimental, an anxiety disorder is experiencing those physiological effects, the nervousness, the increased heart rate, shortness of breath, but not to acute specific situations, but in a chronic way. Or maybe you respond to just being around people, you have social anxiety when it's just being around others and yet you feel this nervousness. Or maybe it's a phobia tied to a particular concern about something and and so you feel this nervousness, this anxiety around something that's really not a threat to you. Or you can simply experience it just a perpetual state of nervousness in the world. There are a number of ways that that we might feel the anxiety of our age. One pastor and cultural critic, Mark Sayers, he describes the anxiousness of our system, of our culture, by pointing to a, uh, a, a popular British show called Trigger Happy. This was one of your common reality shows where there was a hidden camera and there was a person or a group of people in London doing just 
weird actions to trigger a response in people. And so in one, one moment, there's a guy who's in a nice restaurant and it shows everyone enjoying their, their meal. And then this guy brings out this large cell phone and begins yelling in it and creating this uh, chaos. And he stands up and starts pacing around and leaves the restaurant. And you watch and you're thinking, and you just see the reactions of people. In another response, in another moment, there's a group of people and they're running through the streets of London in a panic. And you see the people who previously had just been enjoying a nice walk uh, through the city all of a sudden caught up in the panic and, and anxiety of this group. And so they start running with them. And there's a part of me when I'm watching it that thinks, oh, you know, if I was there in that particular situation, there's a group of people running in a panic down the streets, I would remain calm. I would be able to differentiate myself. I say, okay, let's take an analysis of the situation. Why are they running? Is there something uh, harmful coming my way? Should I confront this? Or, But in reality, if I was there in the moment and people were running panically down the streets, I would probably run with them. Because I'm a social creature. And all of us, when we see a group of people responding in panic, we're prone to join with them, to run in the streets with them, responding to this anxious situation. Now, we might not experience that physically on the streets or in our neighborhood, but we experience the running and the panic pretty consistently in our world today. We're bombarded with images in the news of people in body bags. We're, we're bombarded with images of mass shootings and groups of people chanting death to America. We're routinely bombarded by these images that can induce this sense of anxiety as it reminds us of our vulnerability. We're reminded of the problems on a global scale every day. We also see this on our social media feeds as groups of people are highlighting particular issues and, and pains and problems and calling for this communal response and, and things that before we didn't have an opinion on, weren't even aware of. Now we can buy into this sense of, oh my goodness, this reactionary panic. We're reminded here that Jesus, he, he speaks to the anxieties and the panics and the pains of the world. He doesn't distance himself from it, but he enters in. But then we see how he enters in. Again, we're asking, how does Jesus relate to an anxious world? Uh, one, he speaks, he addresses it, and he does it by, Jesus deconstructs the system. He deconstructs the system. He enters in, and he's able to bring us to a place of considering and asking why. Why are we anxious? What is our life built on that might lead to these particular responses? In fact, the whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is deconstructing a way of living that can lead to division and anxiety. He brings us to ask why. Now, um, anxiety is especially prevalent among young people today. Um, and, and, and a lot of research has shown why that's the case. People have begun to ask, why is anxiety disorder increased among uh, the U.S. population, but especially why is it so high among 
young people, millennials, and Generation Z especially. And here's what some of the research shows us. One reason that anxiety is a particular struggle for young people today is the increased awareness of mental disorders and anxiety. Not only are we aware of the pains and issues of the world broadly, but we are aware of the struggle of fear and anxiety personally. Uh, uh, one uh, uh, researcher describing this mentioned how students in med, med school, when they're researching about particular uh, issues and, and, um, and pain, that often they can read themselves into the diagnosis. They can self-diagnose themselves on these issues where previously they, it wasn't even on the radar, but now they might feel like they have that particular disease or that particular struggle. And so as we're aware of anxiety, there's a part of us, because anxiety is so broadly speaking that we can self-diagnose and feel, oh, this is something I might struggle with. But another reason that there's an increase in anxiety among young people today is technology, and especially technology related to social media. As we live in a world where now there's a constant pressure to project this image of togetherness, and where we're prone to identify our own self-worth by the number of followers or likes that we have on a particular image that we put into the public realm. And that leads to the third reason. Another reason why young people feel anxiety today, research shows us, is the increased pressure to perform and measure up. Um, the statistics of the number of young people who struggle with anxiety and depression in Ivy League schools and higher education academic institution is incredibly high. And there's a number of uh, different takes on this and, and people trying to think through and process why is that the case. And, and one author put it well in, in Quartz magazine. They said that one of the reasons that young people in Ivy League schools might struggle is because their whole life has been built on pursuing perfection. Being perfect, not only with their grades and academics, but excelling in extracurricular activities like sports and music. And that in order to get accepted into this prestigious institution, all of life needed to be about enrichment. That they couldn't just enjoy a day and afternoon, but everything was funneled through some positive benefit of building a resume in order to be accepted by what our world says is the best. Now, you might never be accepted. You probably won't be accepted into an Ivy League school, and maybe that's not your background and story, but that speaks to the social pressure that if you want to be accepted, you need to take this anxiety and channel it to be perfect. This speaks to the anxiety of our age, where many people are living, feeling the vulnerability, and Jesus comes in, and he deconstructs. And here's how he does it. You know, he points to, in our passage, he talks about the good things that we do that can have negative effects on our life. And in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus says, Be careful not to display your righteousness 
merely to be seen by others. And then Jesus goes on to outline three good things, three virtues. He talks about giving to the poor. He talks about prayer. And he talks about fasting. And he says, when you take these good things and you put yourself at the center, the good thing can become a source that crushes you. And such is the same with our anxiety today. When you take good things like awareness of mental health disorders, the good thing of grades and enrichment, when we put ourselves at the center, it leads to the outcome of anxiety. And Jesus, he outlines the problem of putting ourselves at the center, and he talks about the hypocrites. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says, Whenever you do charitable giving, do not blow a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do, for they have their reward. And then in verse 5, whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray while standing in synagogues and on the street corners so that people can see them. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. Verse 16, when you fast, do not look sullen like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that people will see them fasting. I tell you the truth, they have their reward. Now, the term for hypocrite literally means an actor. Someone who is projecting this image that does not match their heart. They're merely putting on a performance, putting on a show. And when we look, what is the actor's relationship to everything in their story? What's the actor's relationship to the virtues? What's the actor's relationship to giving to the poor and prayer and fasting? We see that they use them. They manipulate those virtues for self-serving ends. What's the actor's relationship to other people? They use them. They're manipulating people. People become an audience for them. People are a means of their approval and, and self-promotion. The actor uses people. What's the actor's relationship to God? Rather than desiring God and relating with God, the actor uses God and godly deeds in order to project themselves, in order to get approval and acceptance and glory and promotion. The actor takes good things and it manipulates it for selfish ends. And this leads to certain outcomes. Jesus says they have their reward. You might be a real good spiritual actor, you might promote yourself to such a degree that you get a lot of approval, that you get applause, that you get a lot of followers and a lot of likes. You might get that reward, but it comes at a great cost. It can come at the cost of burnout. It can come at the cost of a personal sense of peace. It can come at the cost of great anxiety. Jesus deconstructs this system that puts ourself at the center. But he doesn't end there. He doesn't just say, don't be like them. Don't be like the actors and the hypocrites who are just promoting themselves. Jesus deconstructs, but then he constructs another way of living. Jesus constructs a way to flourish. And the core of it 
of human flourishing for Jesus is putting God at the center. You know, it's interesting because Jesus, earlier in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, he speaks about good works. And he says this in Matthew 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Let your, let your good works, your virtues shine. Let people see them so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You might ask, which is it, Jesus? On one occasion, you say, do it in secret. Don't worry about the approval of others. Don't worry about people seeing what you're doing. And here he says, let your light shine. That people might see your good works. Which is it? And here's the difference. That they may give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, when we put ourselves at the center, when we make our good works about projecting ourselves so that people see us, we miss the heart of what Jesus is getting at. Jesus says, don't put yourself at the center, put God at the center, that when they see your good works, they see the gospel and motivation behind those good works. They see not your presence and your strength and your goodness and your greatness, but they see the presence and strength and grace of your God. Jesus constructs a way of living where we're not at the center, but God is. And it brings us to a question of, what, of where do we find our approval? You see, if Jesus is saying, don't buy into a system where you're living to be approved by everyone else, he's saying, look, find your approval in God. But but that can also lead to anxiety. Because as I think of the challenge of living in the courtroom of other people's opinions, man, there's a lot of fear in that. But when I think of living in, in the courtroom of God and being approved by Him, you talk about anxiety. Paul, the Apostle Paul, has some good news for us as it relates to finding our approval in God. In Romans chapter 3, Verse 23, Paul is writing and he's speaking to how we are accepted by God. And he says this, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. What is Paul saying here? What, what is he getting at? What he's talking about is how we find our justification, how we find our approval. He's outlining a different way, different ways of, of finding our self-worth and acceptance. One way of justifying ourselves is by our works, of doing enough good things to be approved by other people or even to be approved by God. When that's what we are living for, either one of two things will happen. Either on the one hand, we will work really hard. We will follow the rules. We will try to measure up. And then we will live an anxious life. Or we'll say, you know what? No, I'm not buying into that religious system. 
I'm going to live for myself. And this sin concept, I'm not going to allow that to be part of my story that's so oppressive. I'm going to be me. Yet we can't escape. We can't escape that desire within us as human beings that wants someone to come in and say, you are accepted. You are loved. You are justified. We can't not live in the courtroom of trying to earn our worth and standing in the world. Paul says there's another way. The way that Jesus offers. Paul says all fall short. Before a perfect God, none of our works will merit and earn us His righteousness and approval. And that's why He sent Jesus. You see, all of us at the end of the day are hypocrites. We all are tempted and prone to use even good things for self-serving ends. And if we're trying to, to live it out perfectly, we'll fall short and we'll live an anxious life. But that's why Jesus came. Jesus was displayed by God on the cross. Jesus was crucified in our place. And when we place our faith in His work and record, we are justified. It is a gift that is not something we earn, but it is received purely by faith. And when that good news, when you place your faith in Jesus, God looks at you in the courtroom of God and you are approved. You are pardoned. You are justified. You are accepted. And when we find our acceptance by God, when we allow Jesus to deconstruct self-serving, self-promoting, self-centered way of living life and we are invited into the story of the gospel where Jesus is at the center and his work and record on our behalf is what brings our acceptance now. Now, when that becomes our center, we're, entered, we're able to enter into the courtroom of life. The opinions and views of everyone else not trying to earn it, but already secure in the approval we have through Christ. How does Jesus relate to our anxious world? He enters in. He deconstructs a system built on self. And He invites us to rest and internalize the good news of our acceptance in Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for inviting us into a system and story of grace. May the good news of your gospel penetrate our mind, dig deep roots in our heart, and be displayed in our hands and actions. May people look at us in an anxious world where we're prone to run the streets of anxiety May we internalize the hope of your gospel to such a point that we can be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. And Lord, this struggle is real. And we know there are not simplistic answers, so thank you for your grace and your patience with us as we join the journey with you. 
It's in your Son's name and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. And, and I want to invite you to continue to join as we uh, continue next week looking at anxiety and, and begin to focus on particular issues that can bring a sense of vulnerability in life. Will you receive this benediction from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.